Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson. Kylie Omel are showing off those shifty skills. Driver driving hard down the alley and he scores. What a goal from Josh Bird. Kayla Trainer flips and scores. Are you kidding me? By Dylan Ward. Gets topside. Rambo scores. Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk, your go-to podcast for interviews with professional players, coaches, and executives as well as the latest news and analysis from all three professional lacrosse leagues. Now, here's your host, Hutton Jackson. All right, what's up, Pro Lacrosse fans? Welcome to another edition of Pro Lacrosse Talk presented by Fanatics. I'm your host, Hutton Jackson, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Adam Moore, as well as PLT contributor Brian Andrews. And, man, we have a lot of news to talk about, guys. Uh, we're going to cover a little bit of Athletes Unlimited news that we got, NLL awards, and expansion draft, as well as the PLL Week 4 and previewing PLL Week 5. But I'll start with you, Adam. Welcome back. It's been a couple episodes since you were last on, but uh, how are you doing, man? I'm good, man. We have a lot to talk about. In particular, really excited uh, about this Athletes Unlimited news. I know their season uh, is kind of coming up here, so looking forward to talk in NLL, AU, and PLL. Yeah, and you were actually uh, working the PLL event this past weekend you had you were right on the the ground level watching these games in baltimore which was nice and uh brian always good to have you on as well we had you on last week talking the nll finals which was fun um now we have some expansion drafts to talk about but uh how you doing my man really good happy to be back on can't believe we're already going to be recapping week four of the pll i feel like time's flying while we're and we're still talking about the nll i feel like the summer's going by in the blink of an eye already yeah, no, I think the the wake-up call for me always every year is the announcement of the All-Star Game ballots after week three. And it's like, oh, wow, the All-Star Game's in two weeks, and then we're already halfway through the season. So I think that's always what gets me with the PLL season, you know, since it only is uh, – last year it was only nine weeks, um, I believe, and uh, or nine games for each team. And this year it's ten games in the regular season before playoffs. So, you know, relatively short season compared to maybe, you know, obviously the NLL and the, the MLL previously. But – um Still, you know, healthy season uh, amount of games. I think the the format's great. It's nice. I think doing four games this year in a weekend as opposed to five is easier, I think, on fans to view. And I think it. I love the Friday night, Saturday night slates that they've been doing compared to, you know, maybe like a Sunday afternoon. I just prefer the Friday night lacrosse. So definitely enjoy how they've been doing that. Um, and they'll be in Minneapolis this weekend. But let's go first with the Athletes Unlimited news that we got. We've got a few signings, some rookies that are going to be joining season two. Um, the biggest one is Charlotte North. You know, I, I think everyone expected her to be um, the biggest name to sign for this Athletes Unlimited season, but she is officially signed, um, as well as Emma Trenchard and Ali Mastrioni. So, you know, some big names signing with this league, uh, and it's going to be another good Athletes Unlimited season, and we get to watch them participate in the USA uh, fi- finals or p- participate in the the games with the USA um, and then immediately after, they'll go into the Athletes Unlimited season. So definitely looking forward to season two, which will also be on ESPN. So if you guys have ESPN Plus, 
you'll be able to watch PLL as well as Athletes Unlimited all in one place. Um, and obviously NLL when that returns as well. But that's kind of the big news for Athletes Unlimited. Some more news in the NLL, despite the season now being wrapped up. Uh, we had some awards announced. Um, and so Coach of the Year is none other than Tracy Kolesky, Panther City Lacrosse head coach for this season. Uh, arguably the most successful season, maybe since the Seals um, for an expansion team. Um, you know, not counting Halifax, which wasn't really an expansion team. They moved, but um, really great season for him, especially the turnaround that they had. So kudos to him. It was nice to see him win that award. A few other awards. Uh, nice to see Pat Gregoire win the Media Member of the Year award. Um, he also had GM of the Year award going to Steve Dietrich of the Buffalo Bandits. Jamie Dowick won Executive of the Year award. And he also had Thompson Brothers. Jeremy Thompson won in Team Man of the Year. And Lyle Thompson won in his fourth straight sportsmanship award. So Thompsons, not only are they great players on the floor, they're also great guys, um, as evident by the players and media voting on them for those awards. So nice to see those. And there'll be more awards coming up that we'll talk about uh, next week. They're coming out Wednesday, Thursday. So some bigger awards. Who's going to be MVP? We'll find out later this week. Um, but I think the biggest news, guys, that we want to talk about is the NLL expansion draft. Protected players' rosters were released last week. Um, not too many surprises. Usually the biggest surprises are ones that are kind of knee-jerk surprises, like, oh, why isn't so-and-so on that list? Then you realize they're an undrafted free agent or they're an unrestricted free agent, or you realize that they're you know, a veteran that is over 34, so they're a UFA, and even if they do get drafted, they can reject the franchise tag. So for people not knowing, if, if you saw some of your favorite players left off that list, um, it's probably because they are a UFA, and that doesn't really prohibit Las Vegas from taking them, but Las Vegas would still need to sign them. Now, Las Vegas can draft a UFA and apply that franchise tag to one player, and then they would actually lock them up. But otherwise, if they draft a UFA, that UFA can just go and sign with any other team they want as of August 1st. So that's why you, you won't see many UFAs protected, um, and you won't see them probably drafted too much as well when this expansion draft takes place. But we're going to go kind of down some of the um, – the players that we think could get drafted uh, in this expansion draft, you know, we're not going to go every team because it's kind of up in the air with some of them. And, you know, you might see some prospects go that you haven't even seen that much time uh, in the NLL. Uh, but I think to start, look, let's look at Connor Fields left off the protected list for Buffalo. Um, you know, I, I knew they had some tough decisions, obviously with the amount of talent on their roster, but kind of surprising to see him. He had a great season uh, in his first season in Buffalo. And part of the reason why he went to Buffalo is he's a Buffalo native. So um, nice to see him play in front of his front hometown. Interesting to me. Um, I think he's the guy that if you're uh, Sean Williams, you kind of have to take him, even if you are intending maybe to draft and trade him. I know you love these scenarios, Adam. So I'll go to you. What are your thoughts on Las Vegas and what do they do with uh, Buffalo players available? Yeah. That makes complete sense to go uh, with a guy like Fields to bring in. And if, uh, you know, he wants to stick around Buffalo, the Bandits want to keep him, uh, pick up uh, some draft capital. I think that's something uh, for, for listeners that have listened in the past for ex- our expansion talk. I always hark on, uh, I really think GMs uh, should capitalize on uh, players that teams want to keep uh, and, and build, uh, that draft capital or for a couple other players to, to build out their roster. So uh, I think he makes the most sense. He's probably the most coveted of, uh, the guys left off the bandits and, uh, building that, uh, draft capital going into it, um, will be a, a benefit for Las Vegas. You know, it's really just dependent on, uh, what their, their, um, 
identity wants to be, right? Are they going to be a team that uh, goes for it early on in the process? Maybe, you know, like a la the Golden Knights, you know, uh, their uh, hometown uh, counterparts, right? Or or another team that maybe wants to build it for the long term. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, but I think that field's pick makes sense. Absolutely. And, you know, you might see them maybe trade for draft picks. You could see like last year, uh, Panther City drafted Chris Wardle from the Mammoth and flipped him right back to the Mammoth in exchange for Will Malcolm and Jordan Trottier. So they got two players for the price of one because of that move. So maybe you'll see that with Connor Fields. I think that he's one of the guys on the list, you know, of unprotected guys that uh, that's definitely a realistic possibility since I think part of the reason why he was signing with Buffalo was to be closer to home. So um, he's one that sticks out. A sneaky pick maybe from Buffalo, though, if they don't go with Fields, is uh, Nick Weiss, who had a good uh, playoff run with the Buffalo Bandits, had that game winner in game two, I believe. Uh, he had that go-ahead goal um, that ended up locking it up for them in that series. So definitely interesting to see where they go with that. Calgary's another interesting one. Um, some guys left off the list are kind of big names. Curtis Dixon's one, but he's an unrestricted free agent. So he's kind of up in the air whether he'll even resign with Calgary again, but I don't think we'll see him go to Vegas unless – Maybe they do want to make him the franchise guy. Um, in that case, he could do that. Um, they could draft him. But um, some other ones, I, I think maybe uh, Dan Taylor, I think, is one that I was surprised was left off. So I think he might be a target for this Calgary team. Um, but Colorado, following that, is one where, you know, we just mentioned Chris Wardle was a guy taken last year. They have a lot of guys that could get taken. Um, some guys that have been on the team you know, for a couple of years now, some that joined the team midway through the season, uh, you know, in particular one that I think you're eyeing, Brian, but uh, thoughts on, you know, maybe who Vegas targets uh, from Colorado. Yeah, depending on what other offensive pieces they end up choosing from other teams, uh, when they think about fleshing out their defense, they might uh, think about picking up Anthony Jokim. It would turn him into a bit of a journeyman after getting traded from the wings for Sam LeClaire earlier in the season. Uh, but he's a pretty good defensive uh, player. He had a good season for the wings leading up to the trade. I was, I was pretty sad to see him go. Uh, he can generate transition at times. So I think he would be a solid foundational pick for, for them to start if this was like the hypothetical order they would go in. So that's someone that I'm eyeing from the mammoth particularly. And Adam, your thoughts kind of on what Las Vegas does uh, with Colorado. You know, there are some other guys too that had some big playoff runs uh, in their championship season. Um, any thoughts on, on them? Yeah, when any, any, no matter the player, anytime you can bring in uh, someone that's just won that championship pedigree, they know how to win in the playoffs. It's going to be a benefit for, for a team uh, that potentially could be younger, depending on how uh, Las Vegas wants to t- kind of take this uh, pick. So I, I, I'm with Brian. I think uh, that would be an awesome pickup. But with a lot of these guys, it'd be a benefit uh, just with that playoff experience going into season one for Las Vegas. Absolutely. I think Joe Kim's definitely one that they might consider. Um, you know, there's definitely some other defensive guys available too. Uh, when I look at Colorado though, I'm kind of looking at maybe Brett McIntyre had a great playoff run. Um, he really came, you know, into his own during this playoff run for the mammoth. So I was very surprised to see him unprotected. I think maybe they're just rolling the dice with him and he could be another guy that gets drafted and then traded back uh, for some picks or from other, you know, players. Um, and then Dylan Kinnear, I think those are the two I'm eyeing if they're looking offensive end for the Vegas. And I think they will just because I think there's much more talented defensemen available um, that they could get compared to some of the offensive guys that I felt like were protected. And then sure enough, you could get some unrestricted free agents, you know, 
forwards kind of after your draft. So that's why um, I think, you know, with Colorado, I'm probably taking a, a Brett McIntyre, maybe a Dylan Kinnear. Um, you know, maybe they do take Joakim, but those are the two guys I would really eye uh, if I'm, you know, Las Vegas, because once you start looking at some of these other teams, um, you know, it starts to be a little bit tougher with some of the forwards. Although there are some teams like Georgia and New York, who we'll talk to definitely some guys available there. Um, so let's start with Georgia. Uh, Ethan Riggs, Robert Hudson, Connor Kirst, and Ethan Walker are all guys that are available. Ethan Walker, in particular, a forward um, who I was very surprised to be left off. Thoughts on who you think Las Vegas takes from Georgia? Yeah, I think this one's pretty clear cut. I, I feel like Ethan Walker's the the clear cut answer for this. Very high production. The only other potential pick might be Connor Kirst, but I, I don't. I just don't see a universe where you see Ethan Walker on the board and you don't take him. I, I don't. I don't feel like you need to justify this one too much. Yeah, that was one that I actually had to, like, double-check that I was reading that right because I was very surprised to not see his name on. Um, but I'm sure they felt, like, inconfident that they have a lot of veterans on the forward side. Uh, so I think, you know, they maybe viewed him, I don't want to say as expendable, but um, willing to roll the dice with that, especially with so many to kind of choose from. We mentioned Curse, but Hudson and Riggs are also two young guys that could also get looks as well. So, yeah, definitely interesting there. Um, a guy that I do want to talk about, though, you know, we mentioned Ethan Riggs was with Halifax. They got some production out of Dawson Thede after trading for him midway through the season from Panther City. Dawson Thede was drafted by Panther City in the expansion draft, or actually traded for um, last year during the expansion draft, and he was left unprotected. I was surprised by that. I think that's the clear guy uh, for them to pick from Halifax if I'm Sean Williams in Las Vegas. Um, you know, I, I really don't see anybody else as a better fit than Dawson Thede. We saw what he was able to do with Panther City um, and then stepped in with Halifax. I think he's the guy there. Um, and then I mentioned New York a little bit um, earlier. There's some forwards there uh, in Dan Lomas and Kieran McCardle. And then also Damon Edwards, I was surprised uh, to see him left off. Um, so I believe all those guys are uh, not free agents. They might be. I haven't, I got to double check that. Um, Kieran McCardle might be a free agent after this season, but those are three names I was surprised to be left off the protected player list. Um, any thoughts on New York guys from either of you and uh, and who might get selected from New York? Yeah, I definitely feel assuming good point about uh, like Lomas and McCardle potentially being UFAs, uh, but assuming that they're both not, it'll be interesting to see if they go offensive from the Riptide, which I think you should. I think the, the Riptide's offense was very potent last year. I think they mostly struggled defensively letting teams hang on in high scoring games. Uh, so being able to take some scoring uh, from that group is going to be really good. And on top of that, Lomas and McCarroll, they're not like old players, but they definitely would come in and be leaders in that locker room and have a lot of experience in the league. So it'd be interesting who you would choose between the two. I mean, Lomas is just coming off of that injury uh, and came back and had, you know, limited time this season, whereas McCarroll had the full season. So who do you think that you'd pick between the two? I think I would give McCardle because, like you mentioned, I think with Lomas coming off his injury, um, you know, we see what he was able to do when he came back from injury, and it didn't seem like he was too badly affected. Um, but I think McCardle might be the guy that I go with. He was already drafted by the Riptide during the expansion draft from uh, Toronto previously. Um, like you mentioned, you know, not young by any standards. He's 30 years old, but that's not very old either. So I think that might be the pick if I'm them. I also think Damon Edwards is a sneaky pick too. Um, just given you know, he, what he was able to do for the Riptide in this season, I thought uh, it was a, he was a surprise that he was left off his protected player roster. But um, 
yeah, those were the guys I, I would eye, at least from New York. And then uh, Panther City is one that they were able to protect a few more players because they are an expansion team last year. Um, but still some names that are available. Uh, I'll go to you, Adam. Thoughts on who you think they draft from Panther City? Yeah, I, I think I'd love to see, as uh, I stick with the goalie side of things, I'd love to see Kevin Orlman, uh get a shot um, with Las Vegas and uh, be a starter again. So would love to see uh, him uh, man the pipes for, for this first Vegas team. Yeah, and there's definitely some goalies available that they could choose from. I think he's probably the top guy. We'll get to some other teams that, you know, either have goalies that are unprotected or there's some goalies that are unprotected but are also UFAs that maybe if they really want to, you know, make a cornerstone move and franchise them, they could do that. We'll get that a little bit later. Um, but let's go to Philly. You guys are both Philly guys. Both love your wings. A lot of a lot of pickings for the um, Las Vegas team in terms of Philly as well. You know, there are some guys that are available. Um, you know, Kevin Crowley was left unprotected. He is, of course, though, UFA and over the 34-year mark, so he could reject the franchise tag. Don't think we'll see Kevin Crowley going away from Philly. You know, stranger things have happened, but I think he's a lock to stay. But in terms of some other guys that might get drafted from Philly, uh, what are your thoughts, Adam, on where Las Vegas looks when they look at Philadelphia? Yeah, I think a guy like Jackson Subak, Brock Sorensen, and I know Brian ha- has uh, someone who he thinks, uh, in addition to those guys, could be uh, coming off uh, that list. Both of those guys w- would be good pieces to build around, but uh, I think that there's a guy named Alex that Brian thinks w- would be an awesome pick. Yeah, I, I think I think the Wings did a, a good job protecting the people they needed to protect and hedging against Vegas taking a UFA from them. Uh, and in doing so, I only think they they really exposed some key defensive players that were actually really good fits for them this year in Isaiah Davis-Allen and Alex Krebensek. Isaiah Davis-Allen kind of flies under the radar a little bit. He held Jeff T in multiple games to like under two points or, or two or, or fewer points multiple times. He had some really good outings against some real studs in this league, and I think he could be a potential target. Uh, but I think the the pick ends up going to be uh, Alex Krepensek. I think he's an experienced defensive guy that you could insert into any system, and I, I think he will end up being their main target over uh, Subak or Sorensen. Yeah, no, it's definitely interesting. There's definitely some some options there for Las Vegas. Um, and in terms of some other teams, you know, I, I know we're all kind of thinking maybe Saskatchewan uh, looks at Josh Courier, um, you know, who really didn't find that much chemistry being inserted into the rush team last year, the rush team that really struggled down the stretch. Um, but there's also Eric Penny available too, another goalie. So Adam, I know you're fans of both these guys thoughts on, you know, the rush options for the Las Vegas desert dogs. If I'm going to pick someone, I think of the two we just mentioned, it's got to be Josh, right? I think he's uh, an awesome offensive threat, a little bit less points production last year uh, than the the previous few years with the wings, but uh, just take him for the the commercials as it is the Courier Bros, like at at a Las Vegas uh, commercial in there. I think that'd be awesome. No, but he would be a fantastic pick uh, to start building an offense around. Yeah, definitely would be good to have a, another fresh start, I think, for him after, you know, struggling a little bit to find a groove in Saskatchewan uh, last season. Um, and then, you know, in terms of some other teams, Toronto, I think Reed Reinholdt's probably the pick there. You could also look at Brandon Slade as a guy that gets uh, picked up. Um, Vancouver, Tyrell Hammer-Jackson's one that, you know, especially if you're looking for a face-off guy, 
um, a guy that can take those draws. He would be a good one, even though he is dealing, I think, with an injury currently right now is why he's not able to play in the PLL this season. Um, but, you know, then Al- Albany, uh, there's a handful of guys there, maybe Jackson Nishimura or John LaFontaine. Um, Rochester, that, that one's a little bit more trickier, I think. A uh, few guys I wrote down, Matthew Bennett or Tyler Biles maybe are guys that they look at. And then San Diego is another one where um, they did a pretty good job, I think, of protecting their assets. And it kind of helps when you have some UFAs uh, like Dane Doby and um, Brody Merrill, who you don't really have to protect. But, you know, maybe Graydon Bradley or Matt Sykes are guys they eye there. Um, but that takes me into a San Diego guy that is a UFA that maybe you do see still get drafted, but franchised. Um, Frank Chiliano was left off. And I think that was a smart move by San Diego to keep Chris Orglieri, who was their backup goalie, who played well in relief of Shiliano. So I think that was a smart move to protect him. But kind of interesting, you know, not protecting your essentially your franchise goalie in Shiliano. Do you think maybe we see something like a Grubauer situation where maybe they don't draft him, but they sign him as a UFA and he becomes their guy um, and he becomes Sean Williams starting goaltender. Or do you think, you know, they maybe stick to the plan of taking Orleman and they could take both too, but um, I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts on Shiliano going to Las Vegas? And then also, do you have any big UFA free agents that you think would be good to either sign in free agency or franchise? Yeah, I think it's definitely more likely that they take a goalie that's on the board that they don't have to worry about whether or not they're going to sign with them. Because you have Orleman or or Penny on the board. Uh, Penny was a great backup for Higgins in Philly, and then he went in for shoot for the rush, even though I don't think the goaltending was the rush's problem that they needed to solve. That was kind of a head-scratcher of a trade for me from the start. Uh, Both those goaltenders are very capable, depending on – what players they want from either team. I don't think they need to go um, a goalie route necessarily, but I, I do think Shiliano would be a guy that you would want to try to apply a franchise tag to, to a new franchise. So I do really like that pick. Yeah. What about you, Adam? You know, maybe some of the other guys that we didn't mention some big names that are, you know, UFAs um, that you could see maybe getting signed uh, even if they don't get, Drafting because I know you love drafting players that you can have control over, um, and you know I really don't think we'll see many people. Uh, you know, we, we'll only probably see one if we do see one UFA drafted um, in franchise, like we mentioned. But any any UFAs you think they target in free agency? I don't know a specific one, but just like kind of thinking through the process in terms of yeah, you could certainly draft one, but just you could also just wait until the the free kind of timeline right to to be able to fill holes through the draft and sign guys so i think going into the the season i think a team like vegas is going to have a headliner right i think it, it having a squad it makes sense to have a, a big so i certainly could see uh once the dust settles uh in Nevada, a, a big name being there i'm just not sure if uh shiliano is the guy uh just based off of kind of what but i could certainly it would not surprise me uh, if they kind of build, obviously, uh, from from back forward makes sense. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you you know, you got some guys like, uh, you know, maybe a Ryan Banesh, who was also a piece uh, last year for a franchised team. I, I think, obviously, Albany would love to have him back, but he is a UFA. So they could easily, uh, you know, coax him to Las Vegas. You know, I think he likes being near Albany, being closer to Ontario, where he's from. So that might be 
more of an outlier, but you know, you never know. We could see some big names um, go to Las Vegas in free agency. You'll definitely see one or two become the cornerstone, whether it's through, you know, free agency or even a trade. You know, you look at a Randy Stotts who wasn't able to suit up for Panther City last year, uh, but he was obviously traded for and sought highly after, um, you know, by Panther City um, with the future in mind. And he was actually a free agent at the time when they traded for him. So it was a sign. It was a trade and sign. Um, so that's another thing you could see with some of these, um, teams do. And um, I will say there is one advantage to drafting a UFA. If they do leave in free agency, you do get a compensatory pick, which there are a lot of them in the draft. But I agree with you. I think it's less likely, you know, to even mess around with that, you know, build a young core of guys that you have control over for the next couple of years, sign a few free agents, and then, you know, go from there. It seemed to work well for Panther City this year. So I think that's probably the route we'll see. But those are our thoughts on the NLL expansion draft. Um, definitely looking forward to that in a couple of weeks. Um, seeing you know how Sean Williams crafts his team and seeing the Desert Dogs kind of come to life next season. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Moving on to the PLL, let's recap week four a little bit. We had the rivalry, which still isn't much of a rivalry because the Whips just keep winning, even though Redwoods gave them a run for their money in this one. Uh, but Whip Snakes versus Redwoods, let's start with you, Brian. Kind of thoughts on this game to, to open up Friday night in week four. Whip Snakes improved to 4-0. and Redwoods still kind of trying to find their footing. But did you see some improvement for the Redwoods, and do you think the Whip Snakes are still the real deal? Do I think the, uh, do I think the Redwoods improved? I don't know. I, I am totally on your side about not really calling it a rivalry anymore with the woods falling two and six all time record against the whips. I think that, I think that storyline's a little tired until the redwoods really show some consistent fight in them. And I think, I think it's time we have like a new storyline where a couple of different teams are, are a good storyline for the PLL. That's a whole other diatribe that I could go down um, on paper. The woods did have a good offensive outing this game. You know, they lost by one to Whips, who have, you know, are still undefeated, which is a good in its own right. But notably, the Whips managed to hold Miles Jones pointless. And this offense is only really that disastrous for other teams when he is on his game. I think last year, particularly, we talked a lot about Miles Jones and Jules, Jules Henningberg running out of the box together. And who do you pull there? Similar with the Rabel Rafis kind of conundrum for teams. I don't think teams have to plan too much. I, don't, I, I, I think Miles Jones needs to take control of this offense, give Pinnell some breathing room, and also Jules some breathing room, make, teams, make it difficult for teams to choose who to pull. And to do that, he needs to start producing a little bit more. So it's a shame that he's coming off of an MVP season and now he's being held so low in production. Uh, in, other, in other parts of the field, I really think – it's time to start Jack Kelly for a week, for a full game. He didn't have a good second half when he got subbed in for Troutner in week, week one, but Troutner, if, if my numbers are right, Troutner hasn't had a double-digit save game yet, and they're one of the only teams below like 40 or 45% save percentage, and that's something that really has to improve. They're never going to win a game that way. So I think, I think it's really time moving forward. I, I'm not impressed still 
even defensively. Um, and I think they need to make a goalie change just to just to change something up and see if it works. And Adam, I know you're a big Jack Kelly fan. Um, do you think do you think that's the right move to make going in this week, or do you think it's a little too early to pull Trout? Yeah, I I think it's definitely a conundrum for for Nat. I wouldn't want to be in his position right now, but I I think you might need to shake it up. I mean, their their win, he was over fifty percent, and after that, he w- hasn't been over thirty three percent from from a saves perspective. So, um, I I I think I'm biased just because I think. Jack Kelly, prior to his injury, was one of, arguably the best goalie in the world, and um, I think, you know, w- with the type of injury he had, uh, you you kind of potentially lose that quick quick twitch, and he he didn't play too hot in that uh, opening week, second half, like Brian said. But uh, they might need a spark. I think, I think that's going to st- stick with Troutner, uh kind of for at least another game, right? I mean, they're. Uh, he, he played well enough, you could say, for for at least one W so far. But uh, the clock's ticking uh, for for them at this point. And if he thinks this is the inflection point where a change like that makes sense, uh, I'd be for it at, at at this kind of point in the season. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting dilemma, and I think this is probably the week to do it if you are going to do it because then you have the All Star break. So even if it doesn't go well with Jack Kelly, where you're just like, oh, you chalk it up as you know, going to All Star break reset get Troutner back in, you know, if it doesn't work. If it does work, you get some little momentum going into the all-star break that you can kind of build on, I think. I don't think it, like, stalls out after one week um, if you do get that win. But they are playing an Archers team that is the most efficient in the league um, despite not being at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to face-off percentage. So, um, you know, if there's a week, like, to, to do it, maybe the, the week to do it. Um, I don't know. You don't want to put Jack Kelly in a tough situation where he gets shelled either, but – um, I think maybe it could have the opposite effect if, you know, Troutman really gets loses his confidence. So, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of looking like a Kyle Burnlor situation from last year, um, but he has really turned it around this year. And watching this game, Whips still haven't impressed me too much. They, they Even against the Atlas, like, they haven't really had a game where I've been like, wow, this is the Whips team we knew the first two seasons and even last year. Um, they, you know, they had a successful win against Atlas. They squeaked out a few wins before then. Squeaked out of the win against the Woods. It was nice to have Zed Williams back, but I don't think if Burnlaw is on his game throughout these four games, I don't think they're four now. And you can really say that about any team, but I think Burnlaw right now has been their MVP. Um, I, I don't know. That that's kind of my opinion with with this, Brian. You kind of feel similar about that as me. Is that Burnlaw is the guy that's making this Whip Snakes team go, or do you think the Whip Snakes are you know steadily improving? I, I'm just never going to shut up about their defensive unit because I do think that they look really prime right now. And even though you could say, well, they just let up 11 to the, to the Redwoods in professional lacrosse, 11 goals is a good defensive game. Like if your offense shows up, you can win that game. So their defense is consistently keeping them in games. I I think, um, I think they need to be a little bit more dominant on the offensive side of the ball. And even at the stripe, Nordella isn't, I mean, Connor Farrell and Trevor Baptiste have been just dominant at the stripe off the top of the head. And we haven't really talked about Nardello that much. So I, I think everywhere aside from uh, the defensive end of the field, I think I very much agree with you. And and I'll push back a little bit Hutton too, because I mean, yes, you say you're not impressed and then you go look at the standings, right? And if, if you're not impressed and they're winning, what happens when you are impressed? They'll probably still be winning, right? 
Yeah, but it's the way they're winning, you know, and I do think this defense has looked good through the first three games, and that's why they are where they're at. This last game against the Redwoods, none of their goals, all the Redwoods goals were ones that I felt like there was some defensive collapse, and there could have been a lot more that I think Burnmore kind of covered up and uh, and really, like, set apart. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not knocking the Whipsnakes defense. They're the best efficiently right now. They're top of the, the standings for a reason. Um, so I definitely think more of their issues lie on the offense that really looks sloppy um, through most of the game. And, you know, having Zed back really helped them um, because he just draws so much attention. And him and Rambo work so well together. So I don't want to take anything away from them, but I think you're seeing that he really – it is a pivotal part to this offense and they're going to need to get him even more up to speed to really get this offense going. Cause right now it's still like, you know, that Atlas one was big, but he had three, two pointers in that game. Um, and the game would have been nine, nine if those were one pointers. So um not saying they escaped with a win, you know, against Atlas. I think that was a good win for them because this Atlas team has looked good. Um, you know, the first two games and I'll get to them. I'm a little down on them recently too, but I just think the whips are beatable, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like even that four and oh, and you know, any team can beat any team in this league. Um, we'll get to the Chrome too and what we think of them, but um I'm just gonna need to see more from the whips. I think Burnlore is really keeping them in a lot of games. Um and I don't know, I, I think this Water Dogs team that they're playing this week could be a letdown spot. We'll get to that a little bit later though. Um I mentioned the Water Dogs, they had a big win against the Chaos. Both teams looking for their first win. Um, chaos just haven't looked good. I thought they looked good in week one, despite missing so many offensive guys, got their offensive guys back. We knew it wasn't going to be immediately, you know, a huge impact having those guys back just because there is an adjustment period. But Brian thoughts on how the chaos turned out against this water dogs team. Yeah. We, we mentioned briefly last week that we thought it was, it was a very realistic expectation that all these guys showed up to the field game after a really long box season and, didn't immediately get the job done. I, I, I wasn't quite surprised. Uh, there were a few more unforced turnovers than I was expecting. And it was definitely not, uh, I was definitely expecting a closer game for sure. But I, I think the really, the real story is kind of the defensive collapse of the chaos. And I think that's their kind of Achilles heel. Sometimes blaze didn't have a great game. Like by blazes standards, he had 13 saves, which is good, but, it, but like, you know, how many two pointers did Connor Kelly have? the defense was just not holding off the water dogs in any way, shape or form in settled offense. The water dogs haven't been a prolific transition team either. Um, that being said though, that does not inspire faith in the water dogs for me yet. They need to beat somebody else first uh, or the chaos need to show that they're about to be a really dominant team <laughs> somehow. Uh, but I, I don't really take too much away from this game. But for the Water Dogs, though, I do want to give a shout-out to Tucci. I think he's been playing really well, and DeLuca had a really good game. A lot of people kept saying at the beginning of the season, like, oh, well, they just got to wait for Dylan Ward to come back. He's kind of warming up a little bit, and I think the Dogs' defense is supporting him a little bit better. Uh, nine goals is still a victory. Nine goals allowed is still a victory for the Dogs' defense, even though the Chaos offense did not look, you know, to form. Yeah, I and uh I think, too, with the chaos is, you know, I've never been too high on this defense. And when they came out and played really well against the Whips in week one, I thought, all right, Brett Kennedy's maybe a difference maker. Zach Eddie's maybe a difference maker. Maybe this defense is actually a lot better. And the problem is if Blaze doesn't look, you know, inhuman out there, like he hasn't looked bad. He's just looked average. And the problem is Blaze isn't average. So when Blaze is looking average, this defense just doesn't look good. You know, they they rarely slide. 
And the water dogs really picked them apart with all that. And um, I just, I don't know, I have a hard time seeing this chaos team have a turnaround like they did last year. You know, at this point, they were still, it was still around the same though for them. So I'm saying this, um, even though last year, you know, they, I think they beat the water dogs week four and that was their first win. They started out one and three and kind of, you know, struggled and limped to the, the playoffs where they made that magical run. I just don't see it happening this year unless Blaze, you know, gets to another level like he did last year. Um, even with the offense getting back, I think when these offensive guys pieces that they were missing do get back, they're going to be more competitive than they have been in the first four weeks. But I still don't know if that's going to convert to a lot of wins, you know, and I know Andy Towers is pretty confident. You know, he said if they win four or six games, like they're right in the mix. But, um, you know, it, it's a short season. I, I don't know. I'm a little worried now about this chaos team. I think they need to desperately need a win next week against the Cannons team, who I think is a good spot for them. Um, and, you know, and the other thing is I thought that their faceoff struggles would kind of be their Achilles heel, but Tommy Kelly's actually been playing well. So even though he's doing well, they're still struggling. I think once we see this offense kind of get into form, be in more games, but, uh, the defense still is like, for me, like a big question mark. And I don't know if I have that much confidence in them. Um, just the style that they play. I think there's too many teams that can pick that apart. I think you saw a team that really struggled against them last year, the archers, they beat them earlier this season, and I think uh, I think you know them, the Atlas, even the Redwoods. You know, I, I think all of those teams could easily have big games against the Chaos. There's really not a team that I think the Chaos defense matches up particularly well against. Um, you know, maybe the Whip Snakes, maybe the Chrome a little bit, but yeah, I, I'm not too high on the Chaos after seeing this game. And the Water Dogs on the flip side, I, I do think are a team that, despite being one and three, can make a run. You get Dylan Ward in there. You know, he still gives you, I think, a little bit of boost, even though DeLuca has played well. This defense, as you mentioned, Brian, is playing better. And I think they haven't played terribly through three weeks until they got, you know, even that whip stinks game was good. Um, you know, a few defensive collapses and injuries hurt them. Um, I think they just have, they have too many mental mistakes on defense sometimes. Like there's some easy goals that I feel like they always let in like three or four. And that's the difference in winning in this league. You know, you saw that against the Chrome see that even against the chaos they, they had whooped up on the chaos but there's a few goals that was just like can't you can't let them score like that so um if the war dogs clean that up i think they could be scary they're a team that uh, i'm definitely keeping um on my radar despite being towards the bottom of the standings as well um in terms of the at least the one and three teams but uh cannons chrome cans are another team that are one and three chrome are another team that are four and oh um, I know we're all loving the Chrome back this season and the fact that the Chrome are really, really competitive and good this year. Uh, but let's get our, your thoughts. I'll start with you, Adam, on, on the Chrome maybe overall this season, but also against the Cannons this past week. Yeah, it's they've just been a, a fun team to watch, and I know that's super simplistic, right? But they've just been enjoyable, you know, whether it's just the the – influx of young talent whether it's Wisnowskis or Nick Turn or you know on, on both sides of the ball and, you know we, we talked last year at, at points if uh they should put Scannoni in cage right uh Galloway was playing pretty well at points um last year but and and he was kind of on his farewell tour so uh Scannoni was waiting in the wings and he he's in there now right like he is playing phenomenal and I mean, you should expect it, right? Two-time MLL goalie of the year. I, I would expect him uh, to come and play so well. But, like, uh, being in person in Baltimore, he fills up so much of the cage, and his 
hands are so quick that uh, he is just such a difference maker for them. So uh, there's so many new faces on this squad, uh, as you denoted in your article, Hutton. And like, it's, it's just a really enjoyable uh, team to watch. Uh, and they're playing for a, a good guy to root for in Coach Sudo. No, absolutely. I've really enjoyed, um, you know, all of their wins. They're, they've all been exciting games, you know, to start. But um, just the fact that Connor Farrell is really, you know, coming to his own. And, um, you know, if he, if not for him and the faceoff play by him and those comebacks, this team could be two and two, maybe even one and three. Um, but despite that, they're they're playing really, really well. And they've had these two back-to-back come-from-behind victories, you know, being down three or four goals and coming back and, and winning. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch. Um, what are your thoughts, Brian, on this Chrome team and, and their future going forward this season? Yeah, man, they were the, – the Chrome were giving me a heart attack. I had them minus one and a half. Check out Battle and Lacrosse for our picks that clearly succeed all the time. Uh, but I was, like, ho- holding – I was crossing my fingers for the comeback, and it was kind of not happening. And then out of nowhere, within, like, three minutes, it was 11-11 when it was previously, like, 11-5 absolutely electric comeback leading up to that though it wasn't the only thing that I thought that the chrome was struggling with was offense I mean it's not like the cannons were running away with the game or anything or really taking advantage of some sweeping deficiency at the stripe or on the defense or on the chrome's defensive end the the offense just kind of looked uninspired Jordan McIntosh was the only guy scoring but then as the game went on you you had Justin Anderson come alive a little bit again, and particularly Mike Messenger. Mike Messenger had multiple full-field highlight reels where he would cause a turnover, generate the transition with a loose ball, and then feed the ball, and then somehow get open for a shot and a goal. It was it was actually incredible to watch, and I, for one, will admit that I didn't think Messenger was going to be as impactful as he has been for this team, and if not for Trevor Baptiste, Messenger would be my candidate for the player of the week. Yeah, Mike Messenger has been a lot of fun to watch. I don't think I expected his him to have this big of an impact either. I knew when they signed him, I was like, I love that pick. Like, that's a sneaky pickup by the Chrome to get him. Because not only, you know, can he play short stick defensive many, which he's listed as, he can score on transition. He can generate offense. We see him do that with the rush, you know. So, um, yeah, I've loved him. And it's kind of funny that, you know, he's kind of taken a spot away from John Rannigan, who was their captain. I, I hope we get to see more Rannigan this season, but it's tough to insert him back into the lineup, given the fact that the Chrome have had so much success through four weeks. So um, I think that's just a testament to his play that, you know, he's kind of unseated a, a midfielder spot from John Rannigan. So, um, yeah, definitely love seeing him and what he's been able to do. And, uh, and you know, got to give some credit to Brendan Nickturn for what he's been able to do um, to, for this offense. I mean, he's looking like the, the best draft pick of the, the year, um, you know, falling to them in the second round. Um, he was a guy that I, I thought might fall to the second round just because of his military status. But I, I think they're probably going to have him for the full season. Usually when you're a, you're an officer, you get some time before you have to go to training. So I, I think he'll probably be good for the rest of the season. Otherwise we probably know about it, but He's been worth his weight in gold, even if it is, you know, uh, for a short time with his Chrome team. Um, and Justin Anderson has been looking great, too. Uh, he's a huge different maker. And, you know, when I was talking to some players, uh, apparently he's been a huge leader for this team as well, only in his second year. So, yeah, this Chrome team's a lot of fun to watch. 
definitely hope that they can get a more dominant win like they did against the Redwoods and not have so many close calls. Um, I definitely think they need to put together some complete games. I thought the Archers game was actually pretty complete despite, you know, a little bit of a comeback by the Archers in that week one. But uh, overall, I think this will be a good test for them when they place the Atlas uh, this week. Um, and we'll go to the Atlas Archers, the last game of week four. Um, this was probably the primetime one that everyone was looking forward to, and it didn't disappoint. Um, the Atlas team pulls away with a victory. Uh, a lot of credit to Trevor Baptiste and his dominance at the stripe. Uh, but I actually think, you know, there's no moral victories in lacrosse. Um, but if you're the Archers, losing that many faceoffs, you have to feel pretty good the fact that they had a chance at the end to at least tie it, um, despite, you know, now falling to two and two. Um, and if you're the Atlas, you know, a little bit disappointing to to not be up more against a good Archers team, but against a team that you dominated so heavily in the possession game. So let's go to you, Brian. I know you have some thoughts on your Atlas team. Uh, thoughts on this win for them this week against the Archers? Yeah, I mentioned that I thought Trevor Baptiste was player of the week, but I also think, you know, I, I have receipts where I started talking in our Slack group last week about the potential for Baptiste to have an MVP run before he had an 86% base-off game. He's, he's netting around 75% on the year, and now everyone's, now everyone's talking about the potential for uh, Baptiste to take the MVP if the Atlas – I think it's really contingent on how deep the Atlas get and kind of on how Jeff, Jeff T performs if they do, because it is a face-off guy, and it's really rare. I forget which year Grenlian got. I think it was like 2015. 2015, yeah. It's the only one yeah. to do it. But we did see a goalie last year, too. So, you know, two specialists, um, pretty recent. It's definitely possible. Yeah, so I, I love I love uh, the campaign that he's on right now. He looks on fire. Uh, his wings have been also really supportive. Got to give a shout-out to Craig Chick. I know Adam's really happy to be here and have me talk up Craig Chick a ton. He's been having he, – he's been producing numbers, and I know that's not what all defense is about, but – Cross turnovers and ground balls. He's keeping pace with like Scott Ratliff and, and Michael Earhart. Michael Earhart's like the LSM of the year every year. And for a team who just drafted Kobe Smith, who is a phenomenal talent, that man has been showing that he very much deserves a starting spot on one of these eight teams. And I love that he's on the team that I root for. Uh, but in the context of this game specifically, uh, besides Baptiste dominating at the stripe, uh, the Atlas have some issues that I think contributed to the fact that they didn't dominate the Atlas or the Archers as the possessions might reflect, um, they have they have a midfield production issue where I think the Atlas had a really smart defensive strategy where they were sliding immediately to some of the guys that you would expect to produce, like uh, Brian Costabile on the Atlas midfield. Costabile couldn't even get through his full split dodge before Hasek was like firing up or whoever was just immediately firing up. And it was happening to like all the midfielders. And you can tell the, the Atlas midfielders never really adjusted because they found themselves retreating away from the slide rather than re-dodging or finding the open man, which means the archers were doing a good job off ball, but they never really adjusted. And you could see like Costabile getting really frustrated that he wasn't able to score or put up points or whatever. You got to give a lot of credit to the archers defensive strategy. And I think teams are going to use that as a blueprint. So if I'm Ruby or I'm looking at that, and I'm coming up with a strategy of how can I take advantage of teams that are going to slide way too early like that? Uh, they, Rubier also said after the game they're still having substitution issues. It's also very visible. Usually you don't see issues like that. The the Atlas have had multiple weeks where suddenly they only have five guys on the field and they're on defense for an extended period of time. And it's very apparent that something's going wrong at the box that they need to figure out. Um, 
So both of those things I think are really contributing to a slow offensive pace, even though they won, and also errors that allow for goals that kept the archers in the game, even though the Atlas were dominant at the stripe. Uh, but in particular, I think the Atlas defense deserves a huge shout out because historically they're not, they're pretty much the same identity that they've always been with few key changes, but uh, they've never been historically really known to be a defensive team. And they're one of the best defenses in the league right now. They've, they've only, I don't assuming the PLL stats are up to date right now, they've only let up two goals in transition. And I think that is remarkable through four weeks. They're like, they're like on pace with the whip snakes in a couple of different categories. And it's really impressive to see can cannons, the most electric goalie in the league for me to watch. And I, I couldn't be happier watching this team right now. If you can't tell by this diatribe that I'm on, the only note that I have for the archers is that Matt Moore is an absolute stud. No, Matt Moore is an absolute stud. And, uh, you know, we'll get into our all-star ballots next week, but I'm a little disappointed that he's listed as attack because I would probably put him in my midfield, which is where he's been playing. Uh, but unfortunately he's listed as attackman, so I can't fill him out in the ballot. But, uh, I agree with you with a lot of the Atlas things. Um, I'm still, I like, like you said, I think substitution is a big thing because they were able to really generate a lot of good looks against the Redwoods in week one um, and against the Cannons too in week two. And that's kind of what's been missing. This team can really like play really, really well in transition if they want to. But the problem is when they get into the settled offense, um, they start to look a little bit like the Redwoods. I think they have, you know, better individual guys than the Redwoods do. Um, not that the Redwoods have bad guys either, but um, I just think this team, like you said, is getting a little sluggish, little complacent on offense. I think they're missing a lefty picker for Jeff T too. I know Joe Keegan mentioned in his 10 man ride newsletter uh, today, um, but you know, last year with Cockerton, him and Jeff T played really, really well because they were both a threat to score from the lefty side. And if you don't have another lefty paired with him, um, you know, it's just a little bit easier for that defense to to really lock in on T and take their chances with whoever's on that side with him. Um, and it's really not been like a true two-man game. It's been more of just, you know, pick and roll to kind of get Jeff T to open a little bit or get him a matchup that he likes. But um, I think they're not doing enough to help him. Not that he necessarily needs help, but um, I have been a little disappointed with how that offense is going. And Chris Gray hasn't felt really as involved as he was the first two weeks um, it was nice to see uh, Eric Law kind of get involved more. But even then, Eric Law's goals were a lot of, you know, individual effort from Eric Law making some spectacular plays more than the offense finding its groove and Eric Law getting lost there in, in the defense and just, you know, getting an easy layup. I think that's where this offense is at its best when Eric Law is, you know, goes missing for the defense that he's playing against and, you know, puts them in the back of the net, not him diving around the crease. Love to see it, but, um, you know, you, you want him – to kind of naturally get those goals as opposed to having to, to make a lot happen. So yeah, a little disappointing. And if you're the archers, um, you know, you really wanted to get this win here, but um, if Ignacio comes back, you know, to the point where he was kind of at the week one, um, I think this team can take it to the next level. They just really have a lot of struggles. They're getting limited possessions, but they're the most efficient offense in the league. So all it takes is a few more possessions and, you know, those turn into more goals and turns into more wins. So um, I'm really high on this Archers team, despite only being two and two. Um, I think they're one of the more complete teams, despite the the absence at faceoff, because um, their defense has been playing really, really well too. I thought they held the Atlas uh, offense in check for most of the game. There was a few breakdowns, of course, but um, didn't have Warren Jeffrey this week again. So I think having him back in the lineup 
Um, hopefully in week five will be big. Hopefully he's not banged up too much after winning the NLL championship. But I think that's been a notable absence that hasn't really been talked about compared to like the bandits on the chaos and Dylan Ward on the water dogs. So definitely something I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing next week when the archers take on the woods. So we'll go to this game. We each, each of us will take, you know, two or three of these games just to preview, but uh, we'll start with archers woods. We kind of mentioned it a little bit uh, with the goalie situation with the woods. Maybe they go with Kelly. Maybe they go with Troutner. But um, Adam, kind of thoughts on this Woods team facing this Archers team? Uh, where do you think the edge lies, and uh, who do you think wins this week? Yeah, I think just kind of based off of uh, what we talked about this week, I, I take Archers in this one. I think, uh, in particular, something I kind of being at the game's notice, I felt like Trot, Tom Schreiber had a couple more turnovers than he usually did, and he, he did. He had five turnovers after after the game. I noticed compared to averages one or two a game. So that's that's another you know when when it's the those small uh, differences uh, ultimately in game. I think the turnover battle overall was pretty even, but uh, when a, a guy like that uh, has a couple more than he usually does, that that's going to be a, a tilter one way or the other. So um, I'm taking archers in this one just based off of the play up to this point. Um, and this is this is a kind of inflection point in the season. I know that is something in sports I always laugh at when when you just people say this is a must win or or, or something like that. But um, based off of the play of, of the Redwoods, um, I'm I'm curious how uh, they kind of come out uh, against this Archers offense um, and really see. I, I expect Trotter to be between the pipes, so this is going to be uh, an inflection point all across the field for this Woods team. Yeah, no, and I, I tend to agree. I think the Archers will pull out the victory here. But um, I think this is a decent matchup for the Woods, just given the fact that if T.D. Erling can get back to form in this game, really dominate at the, the stripe. If you can give the Redwoods uh, more possessions, this team isn't very efficient on offense. But if you give them more possessions, that can still, you know, kind of close the gap a little bit. And, you know, to Brian's point on what the Atlas was able to do against the Archers, and you kind of your point too, Adam, Tom Trevor had a few more turnovers because the Atlas were really pressing out and causing those turnovers. We've seen the Chaos have success doing against the Archers team. I think the Redwoods can actually have some success if they kind of play like they did against the Whip Snakes. They really disrupted a lot of the the passes and caused some, you know, forced some turnovers that we don't usually see the Whip Snakes make last week. So I think it's a good spot for the Woods. I think it will be a closer game than maybe people think, even though I do think the Archers will pull it out just because they've been so efficient on offense that you know they can they can have lose the possession battle and I think they still will put up uh you know over ten points maybe even twelve or thirteen in this game um but uh yeah I definitely do think you know the Woods have some advantages in this game and um could match up well against the Archers despite you know them looking not so great through four weeks now and moving on to the Atlas Chrome we talked at length about the Atlas and the Chrome uh, Brian I'll go to you first thoughts on Atlas Chrome. Um, you know, this is kind of a big matchup, even though the, the Chrome are still undefeated and the Atlas have one loss kind of feels like, you know, a, a win kind of puts one team ahead of them in the, the standings a little bit. I mean, obviously we could see it even if the gold differential is big, but uh, kind of feels like this is a, a game for the top of the standings. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? This is going to be a really interesting game, particularly because of the styles of the two teams. Uh, both teams are the two top teams in percentage of their offensive possessions being generated from transition. So for about 45% of all their offensive possessions are transition. And also both of their defenses are also two of the best defenses in transition. So I think this, this game has the chance to be like really back and forth, but also somehow kind of a rock fight because both 
both teams have really high power defenses and they've been showing it. Uh, but the fact that they be they'll be able to stop each other in transition makes me think it's going to be a lot like the uh, Archers Atlas last week, which everyone thought was, you know, going to be a really high scoring affair. Even the books did it 25 and a half for, for most of them set in that line. Uh, I think the books sharply reduced that line uh, because of these prolific defensive units. And uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Jack and Cannon fares against, you know, Nick turn driving from X and, some of these powerful Chrome midfielders driving to the center of the field. I, I, I'm really excited for this matchup. This is the game of the week for me. Yeah, I agree. This is definitely the game of the week for me too. And uh, as much as I love the Chrome, I do think this is their truest test. You know, being 4-0 um, is great so far. They've beaten some great teams. I think this is where they can really cement themselves as the top team in the league or end up in the middle of the pack again if they do lose the Atlas. And vice versa, the Atlas side, I think the Atlas can say, yeah, we're the real deal maybe had, you know, two poor games showing the past two weeks, but uh, the team we saw through the first two weeks is the real deal, even though they played Cannon's Redwood. So um, true test, I think, for both these teams. I think it's going to be a rock fight, too. Um, I've been kind of building a uh, model for betting-wise and, um, you know, kind of still beta testing it, but um, my projections show that it's going to be pretty low scoring. So uh, I, I do think it's going to be a tight one as well. Um, but any similar thoughts, Brian? Uh Neither of us touched on the face-off battle. I think I think if Baptiste shows this week that he can dominate over Connor Fowler, who's having a year very similar to the year he had in the bubble, uh, I I think you know going into the All Star break, he's having a really good time and really cementing his dominance over this season. So I think I think that's the key thing to watch that might not have as much of an impact on the game, but I think a key to success for the Chrome is Connor Fowler keeping. Uh, at 50-50 at the stripe as opposed to even 60-40 or, 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 God forbid, 70-30 in the Atlas favor. No, and I agree. And I think that's also why you might see less transition, too, because both those guys have led to a lot of fast-break goals, whether they're scoring themselves or they're just generating offense for their teams. And you're not going to see that, I don't think, as much when both of them are going head-to-head. I don't think you're going to see a lot of Trevor Baptiste or Connor Farrell breakaways um, on the fast break like we had the past couple weeks just because they're both going to be able to counter each other. So that's definitely a matchup within the game I'm definitely looking forward to as well. And then moving on, Chaos Cannons. Um, kind of feels like a must-win for both these teams. Obviously, if you're the Chaos, you need a win. Uh, you can't start out 0-5, just not a good, you know, not not realistically uh, great to start 0-5. Um, really puts a damper on their season if they do drop this game. Um, but if you're the Cannons, 1-4 is not much better. So, Adam, kind of thoughts on Chaos Cannons? You know, both teams have a lot of offensive firepower that um, has either not been, you know, getting going as much as we'd like or is obviously coming off the NLL championship. But thoughts on how this game goes? Yeah, in, on, in all honesty, like, when when you just – everything you just said, like, I got anxious just thinking about this game, like, for, for both teams, right? Like, the, the Cannons, right, they fell apart at the end there, and – Lyle had a, a couple chances at the end to, to to get the W and couldn't do it. And on the other side, uh, you know, chaos, they, they just need a win badly. So it'll be – I'm just, like, really nervous for this game for both squads. I don't know why. I know that I don't have a dog in the fight, but just really anxious for this one for, for the squads. And you know the Bandits guys are going to want to play ball out, right, after how, how last week went. So um, it, it'll be really interesting – uh, to see, I'm curious 
to see what the chaos do on defense for Asher and Olsen, right? He's obviously uh, been playing phenomenal uh, for for the Cannons and one of the better pickups so far as ro- from a rookie perspective. So um, it was really awesome to see him uh, notch what he had four goals last week. So um, I, I think I'm going to give the slight edge to the Cannons in this one. Nick Morocco has been playing really, really well um, as well. So um, I'm, I'm going to lean uh, Cannons right now, uh, but uh, it's a nervous pick for me. Yeah, and uh, I, this is an interesting game. I could see it being tight. I could see one team running away with it. Um, but like you said, I think it's a lot of the interest is going to be, you know, what the Cannons do on offense. You know, they rolled out an attack line of Asher Nolting, Lyle Thompson, and Adam Cheryl and Beatties last week. Ran Drenner in, you know, at certain points too. Um, I think if I'm the Cannons, it's kind of weird, you know, going from that line that had some success last week to now this week against the Chaos. I think you got to get the two man games involved. I think you got to have Brendan Bomberry um, rostered to to pair with Lyle. Um, I know Ash has been doing great with him too, but maybe have that same attack line, but then have Brendan Bomberry from the midfield and then have an Asher at X or, um, you know, even maybe, you know, we've seen Asher have success from the lefty side too. So, you know, maybe pair him with Cherylin Beatties. I don't know. I just think with the chaos not switching as much as other teams, um, it's going to be key for them to kind of take advantage of that um, and kind of get, you know, blaze on his heels early so yeah definitely an interesting one for me and then on the flip side the chaos too just you know getting getting in that offensive groove and doing the same thing kind of to the cans because the cans defense hasn't been particularly impressive recently they played better last week than they did week prior but um i think also the team that is more disciplined in this one could come away with a victory because we've seen the cans dig themselves in the holes and um take penalties that they shouldn't and i think same with the chaos like whoever, you know, ends up on the power play three or four times, that could be the difference in this game as well. So definitely interested in seeing what happens in this one. And then we'll go to final one, Whips Dogs. I'll go to you, Brian, with this one. Um, you know, we got a 4-0 team and a 1-3 team. This first rematch of the season so far. Uh, do the Whips get number two against the War Dogs or the Dogs uh, get a rematch, uh, grudge match uh, victory against the Whips? I, I think this is going to be the game that shows whether or not the Dogs have finally – caught up to the season and show that they found an offensive groove or not. Uh, the whips are a great test for that uh, because 17 or 18 goals is a ton in this league. And you don't see that too often and you never see it against the, the whips defense. And you know that the whips are reliably going to put up 12, 13. Uh, if, if the dogs defense put together a full game, which they've shown that they haven't been able to do for the majority of this season. So heavy lean whips obvi- for obvious reasons. You can look at the record and, and assume that. But I, I, I think particularly the, the whips will be able to, to make the dogs defense fall into the traps that they have through the first three weeks, even though they looked pretty good last week. Uh, and I, I, I'm not convinced that the offense, considering the fact that so many of their points came from uh, two-pointers, which we know from CJ Costabile's performance a couple weeks ago that that is not a consistent trend for any teams from a production standpoint. So I, I, I have, I have trouble imagining that the dogs are going to be able to replicate that performance two weeks in a row against that defensive squad. So I heavy, heavy lean whips might even like the points. Uh, it's interesting because I'm actually uh, really on the water dogs this week. Um, you know, and from a betting perspective, we'll talk more of that, that on Thursday, but I like them plus one and a half. I kind of like them on the money line too. I just think they match up well against the whips. Haven't been too impressed with the whips. Like I said, um, defense has played well, but 
I think this Water Dogs offense is really starting to find its groove. Hopefully they get, you know, a guy like Mikey Schlosser back to uh, this week. Um, and I, I just think, I think they have the firepower to really get into a track meet with the whips, which kind of started out as one in that first matchup and then lost some steam because, you know, Withers got hurt, Sabia got hurt, Whip Snakes were able to get a lot more possessions. I think if Tucci, you know, goes 50-50 or even 40-60 in this game, I think the the Water Dogs will have a good shot. Um, I think they have the poles to kind of lock down this attack. You know, we did see last year they played well through three quarters, essentially, and then it was the Zed Williams show in the semifinals. So if they can really limit Zed Williams's production, um, I think the Water Dogs have a great chance at winning this matchup. Um, and, you know, I, I'm interested to see if they go back to Dylan Ward in this one because I think, you know, he could also be a difference maker as well. Similar thoughts, or similar thoughts, Adam, as me. I know you're a big Dylan Ward fan. Do uh, you think we'll see him in cage in week five? Yeah, I, I hope so. Uh, it kind of, you know, I, I mentioned the last game kind of made me feel anxious. This one makes me feel angry in a good way. I like, I think these two teams are angry for different reasons. The whiffs, no one's believing in them. Who not sure. The dogs want to get revenge on the semifinals last week and I just I think this is going to be a battle I'm really excited this is my game of the week uh to to watch these two teams really really go I'm I'm thinking Zach Courier has a big game but I'm I'm with you I'm kind of leaning woods at this point but uh as Brian said uh, it's not always ever a good thing to bet against the whips yeah and uh, you know we mentioned right off the top of the show that we didn't really think whips woods was that uh big of a rivalry anymore i think this one has the makings of a long rivalry especially if the water gets, gets one here um you know kind of doing the same thing they did to the the uh, woods you know first three seasons they did to the the water dogs last year in the semifinals the team that was ranked you know number one seed um i think that we're in for a good one here we already saw some some back and forth with michael sowers and uh tim muller and you know the first matchup so uh, yeah, we could see a, a new rivalry kind of starting to sprout um, based on how this game turns out. But those are our thoughts. That's going to do it for us for this week. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, running a little bit long here, but we had a lot to talk about. So we appreciate you guys tuning in. If you missed any of this episode, it will be up on our podcast streams a little bit later um, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So you can check it out there. If you don't already subscribe to the podcast, please do so. Leave us a five-star review if you really enjoy it. Um, and we appreciate you guys always tuning in to another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk.